This is Nikki Toyama-Sito, the Executive Director of Christians for Social Action, and your host for this episode of 20 Minute Takes. This week, we talk with Curtis Chang. Curtis is the CEO of Consulting Within Reach, and he's also one of the founders of Redeeming Babel. We talk about institutions, what it means to have a communal identity, how it is that we should relate to institutions, be a part of them, reshape them, and sometimes stand prophetically against them. Join us for this conversation on the theology of institutions on this episode of 20 Minute Takes. Curtis Chang, thank you so much for joining us here on 20 Minute Takes. Glad to be here. So, Curtis, um, I have a memory buried deep, deep, and it's probably over 20 years old. But um, I wondered if you could share a story. Uh, I remember um, being very impressed by a moment of a kind of an integrity check that you felt very convicted by when you were in high school or college or shortly thereafter. And I think it, for me, it always made an impression of the type of person that you are and how you show up in the world. Do you mind sharing that, uh, that story with us? Sure. Um, it's actually in high school. I okay. was competing in speech, uh, speech and debate team. I did an event called extemporaneous speaking. And in this event, you are on an extemporaneous uh, context, given a current events issue that you have to give a six minute talk on with okay. 45 minutes of prep. And in it, you have to cite some sources to support the cases you're making. So you lug around you know, uh, a big suitcase with with press clippings covering every possible issue, so that you can. Oh yes, I've seen those. Yes, yes. Oh. Yeah. So um, I I was good at it. I made it all the way to the state championship. I eventually was the state champion uh, and crown state champion. But I wanted harboring a secret, which was that um, I had made up some of the quotes uh, oh, wow. that that I that that I pulled out out of you know sort of a desperate need and addiction to win at sort of at, at all costs and mm. um, so I mean, nobody knew that of course I won the I was awarded the championship and then was um, you know uh, went on to college and it was only in college that I felt like the Holy Spirit really convicting me through some scripture I encountered and just, you know, the movement, the convicting power of, of the Holy Spirit and uh, felt like, wow, I need to really repent of that. And that repentance can't simply be a purely internal uh, contrition. I need to like in an institutional way, which is a subject I know we're going to get to, but in an institutional way, uh, enact this repentance. And so I, Wrote a letter to uh, my uh, high school debate coach, speech and debate coach, who you know had, was a kind of revered figure. I wrote a letter to the um, in Illinois uh, High School State and Debate Association. I returned the medal that uh, you know confessing that I'd done it. I returned the medal, and that was my uh, act of repentance. More than twenty years later, that was a story that I remembered because I think. <laughs> It would have been so easy for you to sort of say, hey, you know, I'm sorry, and, and kind of move on. But I think I was just really struck by um, your commitment to uh, that personal integrity and, and actually going back to people and, and clearing, you know, making that straight Thanks. and open and clear. Yeah, I, I think it's, um, I guess the thing is that I feel most important that is the personal integrity, but also the institutional integrity, because mm -hmm. that was a sin I committed uh, not just against God, but against the institution of mm. the speech and debate yeah. 
institutions, organization, the, the other members who I competed against and I had gained unfair advantage on and who I had sort of undermined the integrity of this institution and this uh, called the Speech and Debate Association. And so it was important to, for me that I'm just, because I believe deeply that as human beings, we are not just personal individual uh, beings, but we are also institutional beings. And therefore, we can sin not just personally and individually or even just one-on-one relationships, but we can sin institutionally as well. And therefore, um, the confession of sin, the repentance of sin yes. uh, quite often has an institutional dimension as well. Oh, that's that's fantastic. Um, you know, here with Christians for Social Action, part of what we are trying to do is um, address both a, a personal uh, faithfulness or a personal expression of a more... Uh, f- uh, fully just faith, but also this engagement with institutions and, and sort of this renewing of institutions. And so that's where I feel like um, there's a lot that we can learn uh, from from you and, and some of the work that you're doing. Um, can you say a little bit, I, I feel like uh, people's posture towards institutions and trust in institutions is at a rather low point these days. Uh, can you say a little bit more about that? Yeah, it's at an all-time low. When you look across all institutions, they're at an all-low, whether it's government, business, uh, civic associations, churches, Christian ministries, uh, you name it, the institutions are, are at an all-time low. And, and the distrust is is at an all-time high. And some of it is is earned distrust. There have been widespread failures and incompetence and failure to do, to do what institutions are supposed to do. So for sure, some of the distrust is actually legitimate. But the thing that I like to note is just the amount of ways and the the ways in which Christians especially tend to interpret these institutional flaws that are very real uh, and then just completely write off these institutions, completely write them off and reject them Yes, um, in a way that they would never if they were at all reflective and, and sort of informed by the faith, that they would never do with another individual, right? They would, if they encountered an individual with the equivalent individual version of that flaw, uh, they would not just write them off as completely irrelevant, co- uh, hopelessly corrupt, and ought to be distrusted for anything. Because, Interesting. And yeah. so the question is, why is that? Why do we treat individuals, as Christians especially, with a a particular set of values like grace, mercy, forgiveness, forbearance, perseverance. We're, we're why, we know we're supposed to do that with individuals. Why, when it comes to institutions, which are also a human, they, they are human beings. Institutions are made of human beings. The institutions are human in their character. Um, why then with human, that kind of human being called an institution, do we throw all of those spiritual values and commitments right out the window. I think we treat them in a way that is that that swings from uh, unrealistic ideal, idealism and expectation that we would not apply to most individual human beings, like that they have to act perfectly, <laughs> namely. Um, and then when we encounter, and because we have this unrealistic, idealized expectation, that it is so quickly disappointed uh, in any situation, but especially, I think, given sort of the current sort of institutional weakness that we have right now, it's quickly disappointing. And then we swing in the other direction to outright rejection and demonization. Yes, yes. I think that is true. I mean, so given all this distrust, uh, what is the role of institutions? Why are they important? Uh, why should we not just toss them out at the first sign of uh, 
flaw or weakness? Well, this gets to the the theological question, a spiritual question, which is what is a human institution? Okay. What is it? Is it just an instrument? Is it just an inanimate object? Is it a tool uh, that were that solely for instrumental purposes? And if if that were the case, if it was just an instrumental tool with no other spiritual value or or intrinsic worth, then it makes sense why we would treat it and toss it aside whenever it doesn't do its job. Like, oh, just the way in which a hammer is broken. Well, that's ah, not worth repair. You know, it's 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 not worth repairing this hammer. I'm just going to toss it out and get a new one, right? And so that's a lot of how we approach institutions. Uh, if it's broken, I'll just toss it out. Maybe I'll momentarily attach to another one, and when that disappoints me, I'll toss that one out in the garbage. So that's if we just treat it as as just a thing that that exists for our instrumental purposes. I argue that Scripture teaches us that human institutions are just that. They're human, and because they're human. They bear the image of God in their own way. They are image bearers, in a, in a, not in the same way that an individual bears the image of God, but in its, in its own special way that there's a collective dimension to image bearing, to the imago Dei. And so therefore, we also have to treat institutions with its own kind of intrinsic dignity, worth, and value, not solely in instrumental terms, not solely as a tool that we wield for our own purposes and just throw away when it disappoints us and it doesn't give us what we want, uh, which is how we're treating especially political institutions these days, uh, but rather as image-bearing beings that that deserve uh, our, all those values we just talked about, perseverance, respect, um, uh, forbearance, forgiveness, uh, and in, in the case of my story with with uh, with my high school experience, and sometimes our own uh, posture of repentance towards that institution. Mm-hmm. So then, if if these are if institutions are human institutions and they are bearing the image of God, um, I know for me that sounds um, rather foreign. I, I don't yes. think of institutions with that kind to of think that way. Yeah, yeah. And so, can you say more about how it is that um, that you see this image bearing quality in institutions? Can you connect sure. the concrete dots for me just a little bit? The reason why there's this natural uh, resistance, yes, kind of like, ah, what? What are you talking about? Institutions <laughs> is bearing the image of God uh-huh. is we've been so acculturated that that it's only the individual. Yes, that is true. Being. That's that is true. A, that bears the imago day. Like that's and there's a long. I can go into a long reason why we've been enculturated that way, which I won't won't for now. But that's the reason. But if we just pause for a moment as Christians, we should realize: wait a minute, that's not true. Like we believe man created us as man and woman. That's in Genesis one, and that the the the, the institution of marriage bears the image of God in a particular special way. We know the church is the bride of Christ, the body of Christ. So we know. There already there's a collective dimension to the to bearing the image of God. Now where people then get hung up is okay, okay, okay. That may be true for a Christian organization. I I'm, I may be willing to go to, that the Imago Dei is born in some way by a Christian organization, but not a not a secular organization, not not Tesla, not Google, not Apple. They're just you know blank money grubbing corporations, and you know you know. And then you'll go to the extremes. Are you saying the Nazi Party bored the image of God? Like you know, you can go through all these ways, right? And then to, to that response, I just invite people to say, like, do you do you really think that non Christian individuals do not bear the image of God? Like by virtue of the fact that they are non Christian, does an individual human being are they stripped of the image of God? 
we we would say no, of course not. All human beings breathing that. So why do we not extend that same universal capacity? And it's a capacity. It doesn't mean we all every human institution is faithfully bearing the image of God, just like we know not every human individual is faithfully bearing the image of God, but we believe every human individual has the capacity to bear the, bear the image because they've been made in the image of God, right? So in the same way, I believe that the scripture teaches us that every human institution was also has this capacity to bear the image of God. And I, I won't do the full exegesis, but just if you want, you know, I hate doing the sort of uh, proof texting kind of approach to these things. But just if, if we need one, you know, Col- <laughs> uh, Colossians 1, 15 to 17. Uh, this is the the hymn of Christ. So this is a, a, a part of scripture that's actually very important because biblical scholars believe the early church regularly recited this passage uh, in its own services. They were regularly reminding themselves of some key truths. And what is that key truth? Well, verse 15 says, the son, Jesus, is the image, right? Here's that key phrase, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. So clearly echoing back to Genesis 1 uh, in, that, in that image. Um, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creation, right? So, and then it goes on and says, okay, who then bears that image? Yeah, who participates sort of in that, you know, sort of image bearing possibility? Well, as you go on to verse 17, there's this key reminder he doesn't say, and don't forget, individuals do this. Don't forget, families do this. Don't forget the church does this. What Colossians 1, 17, 17 says, it's powers, principalities, authorities, and rulers. They are the ones that actually participate in the image. That So the early church needed to regularly remind itself, hey, all things were made in the image of God. That's the key part of that. Story. All things were made for him, in him, through him, right? What are those all things? Somehow the early church needed to remind itself regularly that that all the part of the all things that participated in this image bearing function and capacity was yes. powers, principalities, rulers, and authorities. That's New Testament language for institutions. Mm. So, so many of our folks, our listeners, are activists who end up trying to take or end up taking a prophetic stance against institutions. Do you have any advice as to? What is the relationship that we should consider, the posture we should consider towards institutions? How does God view institutions? Yeah, I would say treat them as a human, as a kind of human being. Hmm. They deserve the same values that you would want to uh, embody Hmm. in your relationship towards an individual, embody them in your relation to these institutions. So yes, call, if if you're in a prophetic mode, call them to repentance in the way that you would call an individual to repentance. With a degree of commitment to truth, but also humility, perseverance, uh, uh, willingness to extend grace where that is deserved, willingness to dust, you know, shake the dust off your feet <laughs> where sometimes where that is deserved, right? So all of the biblical guidance we have for relationships and for treating other human beings uh, as image bearers, we ought to apply in our uh, stance towards institutions. And uh, and that means including institutions that we view as our enemies, um, which we have enemies. We have en- just like we have enemy individuals, we have enemy institutions. And so the call to to, for instance, to forgive our enemies and love our enemies applies to institutions. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, is there an example that you have of um, 
a redemptive example of an institution that is bearing the image of God? Well, I think, I mean, there are many, right? I mean, uh, just in the news, uh, recent news, Patagonia is an institution that essentially is in its in a corporate way laying down its life for for its mission and for for the for God's creation. I mean, that's how, that was the way we would interpret it, right? Not necessarily with the way Patagonia is. But basically they're saying, look, we are going to uh, not um, you know, sort of seek and maximize prof- our own profits. We're going to actually structure ourselves uh, to basically serve the world and also kind of have a in a, in a corporate sense have a, and I'm using this in quotes, air quotes, have a eternal existence structured in that way. They're, they've restructured themselves as a nonprofit with stewarded over by, uh, by uh, a foundation so that they can be faithful to that mission. Mm-hmm. That's a great model. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is the taking of the private uh, shares of Patagonia, putting it into a trust, and the beneficiary of the trust is the earth, right? It's conservation and, and that sort of thing. And instead of it going to the heirs of of the folks. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, that, I mean, it is it is a fantastic example, and it really stirs the imagination. Uh, here would be another example. Would be just any time a company uh, is increasing its philanthropic giving. Um, I think that's bearing the image of God because one of the ways in which God designed, mandated, wanted human institutions uh, to bear His image. Uh, is found in in all of Scripture, but but in specific passages like Leviticus, um, where the, the um, gleanings, the law of the gleanings, right, is commanded. And there, uh, God is commanding Israel, an institution, especially a model institution that is supposed to be the light to the nations. In other words, to other secular institutions, they're saying, "Look, the way that you." are meant to bear my image, Israel, is to practice the specific act of the, the law of the gleanings, which means you are not to maximize profits. You are not to actually uh, harvest right up to all to the edges, right? And so this whole corporate philosophy that a corporation only exists to maximize shareholder value, this is Milton Friedman's uh, definition of what a corporation is, that's just flat out contradicting the biblical teaching on image bearing for institutions, because image bearing is not maximizing your own. We're explicitly commanded as an institution not to uh, not to uh, kind of harvest things right up to the edges for our own purpose. We have to leave something on the margins for the people on the margins, uh, for the widow, the the alien, um, the dispossessed, and so forth. And so, I think corporate philanthropy, as imperfect as it is. Uh, you know, as as ways in which it can be, you know, greenwashing or whatever else critiques you want to level on. Nevertheless, in its very nature, is an image bearing practice of, of precisely that law of the gleanings. Yeah. So it sounds like when you see these institutions, corporations, um, organizations, and they are uh, living out or reflecting some of the characteristics of God. That that is that is their way of this community image bearing, correct, and and to right. pay attention to that yeah, in the, the same the way, way we would a collective you, of hu- collectivity of human beings coming together under being interdependent and expressing a common purpose of the world. That's image bearing because remember when we say the image of God, let's remind ourselves who our God is. Our God is is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three persons, three distinct persons coming together as one being interdependent 
acting in a common mission and purpose in the world. That's the Trinity. Okay, that's the image of God. What human endeavor follows that pattern? What human endeavor images multiple persons coming together, interdependent, working together in a common purpose of the world? That's called an organization. That's called an institution. Okay, so... You know, it's so it's so interesting because I think I'm I'm totally tracking with you, and yet I've oh I've I've been um, in the spaces where I am. It's always a spiritualized word for it, right? Like, oh, that's a community, oh, that's a church. But what I hear you saying is taking it down to its essentials, and and recognizing the way that um, that is showing up in many more places. Completely, and it's the way we touch biblical values, right? So, even you know, Christians for social action. You want. Christians to act with a commitment to social justice. Social justice is, ab- is an abstraction. Uh-huh. What is social justice? It's, it's a thing out there, hovering uh-huh. out there. Uh-huh. We touch and embody and enact social justice primarily through our institutions, through uh, our yes. participation in our institutions, That's right? right? Um, it's through our govern- local government, through, uh, through our uh, civic associations, through our companies. I mean, that's how we touch power. Most people touch their greatest contact with power is through their corporations, the corporations they work for, if they work for corporations. Where they're going to touch racial reconciliation is in their neighborhood sports league that they take their kids to, right? It's it's through institutions that we touch and embody and enact all of these values, racial reconciliation, justice, environmental stewardship, primarily is, is, I mean, sure, we can individually practice our you know, composting and so forth. But even when we compost, guess what? The only way we can compost is because there's an institution out there collecting that compost and re- or recycling things, right? That called the Department of Sanitation. And, and it, we, every way in which we enact some biblical spiritual value almost always flows through institution. And so if we do not have a theology of the institution, if we don't know what that thing is, we're going to have a very, uh, sort of distorted, constricted view of how you enact those values. Yeah. No, Curtis, that is so helpful. That's um, It gives a really great framework for us to both know how to have a posture and to engage, especially in works of advocacy uh, and what kinds of expectations that we can have and how we should show up, I think, with kindness and justice and, and compassion. And at the same time, to long for a fuller Imago day being expressed in the institutions that we're already a part of. I don't see how a social activist can be sustained in the long term without this theology. I mean, they can because this theology is not that well, well, well known, but it's, it seems to me very difficult because ultimately a social activist is trying to promote change institutionally, is promoting, promoting change in institutions. So you've got to believe that number one, institutions are worth changing. They must have some intrinsic worth and dignity, even apart from just their instrumental impact in the world. Because frankly, most social activists will not see that the meter move that much in that institution. They've got to believe there's some, they have to believe there's some intrinsic value and worth to this being called the institution that I'm spending so much time and energy to get to change, right? The social activist has to believe that institution that they're targeting has to have that intrinsic value and worth even a part of whatever specific change they may end up seeing resulting, right? We have to believe, look, ultimately God is at work to redeem this institution. And we have to believe we're just participating and playing our own little role in that bigger story of redemption. 
Well, Curtis, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of 20 Minute Takes. I think you have pulled many loose strands together, as our work does, really engage with systems and institutions. Um, So thank you so much for for pointing the way. Uh, We're grateful that you spent some time with us here today. You're welcome. It's been a pleasure. If you're interested in delving a little bit deeper, you can find a course on the theology of institutions on his website, redeemingbabble.org. The link is in the show notes. 20 Minute Takes is a production of Christians for Social Action. We're produced and edited by David DeLeon. I'm your host, Nikki Toyamasito, and the music is done by Andre Henry. You can find us on the web at christiansforsocialaction.org. Give us five stars, write a review, and share about the podcast with your friends.